you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you want, if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Right? It's a great song. It's incredibly catchy. You hear it. It makes you want to dance, right? Which is why I didn't play it this morning because, you know, I want to try to break out dancing. It's really, it's really, you feel happy when you're listening to it. It was also, interestingly enough, the most listened to song of 2014 right after the year that it came out, which is not surprising really to me as I learned that in preparation for today because that's the way that our, I think the culture that we live in views happiness. It's anything we can do, right? It is the truth for lots of people. It is what people pursue in most cases. We love our happiness. And we want to feel happy. We want to avoid things that help us, that make us feel unhappy. We even end all of our fairy tales happily ever after. There can't be any sad fairy tales in the world that we live in. And honestly, it just sounds right, doesn't it? That God wants me to be happy? Doesn't it sound right? Because after, after all, God doesn't want me to be unhappy, does he? Think about it with me for just a minute, though. Just do a little thought experiment, if you would. If God wanted me to be happy, me, this is just me, not you, not you. If God wanted me to be happy, if this was God's ultimate goal for my life, then here are just a few things that would always happen. The weather would be like Colorado in the summertime all year long, everywhere on the planet, so that wherever I traveled, that was what it felt like. Vacation would never end. You would not gain weight ever, no matter what you ate. You wouldn't wrinkle or grow old. And the Dallas Cowboys would win the Super Bowl every year, right? And Jerry Jones wouldn't be the owner anymore. And all of that would make me really happy. And you have your own list. That's the trouble, right? Which complicates things, because Andrew is actually a Giants fan. Now, if you can imagine somebody being a New York Giants fan. So if God's making me happy while the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl, somebody else is unhappy. So you see the problem? God's busy making one person happy. There's a chance that somebody else isn't going to get what they want. So as I was thinking about this phrase, I decided that when someone says, God wants me to be happy, usually using that to defend their actions... They are saying more about what they want than what God wants. They are saying more about what they want than about what God wants. But you can feel the tension with this statement, right? If God doesn't want me to be happy, this doesn't mean that God wants me to say absolutely not, not at all. God does not want us to be unhappy. And I'm not saying in some way that God is opposed to even our happiness. In fact, I would suggest that God delights in his children being happy. What I'm saying is this. God's highest priority is not our happiness. I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. Our happiness is not God's highest priority. If God wants me to be happy is true, then God exists to serve me and my desires. But then God wouldn't be God. God would be a puppet. God would be a divine vending machine where I just put in what I want and then he gives me what I want in return. But this in no way means the fact that our happiness is not God's highest priority in no way at all means 
that God isn't interested in our happiness. It simply means that as our Father, our happiness is not God's highest desire for our lives. And you understand this. Whether you're a parent or not, you understand this. If you are a parent, you understand it because you're raising kids or have raised them. And if you aren't a parent, you understand this because you were raised by someone. And any decent parent loves watching their kids do things that they enjoy, that bring their kids happiness. They love seeing their kids happy. But a good parent never has the goal of keeping their kids happy all the time. Right? If we do that, our kids, will, the result would be that our kids become selfish. And they think that the world revolves around, around them. And they don't need help thinking that because they already think it. And we all did too when we were younger. And sometimes we still think that. If you, don't give a, you don't give a kid cake every night for dinner because... Because as a parent, you understand that while cake might make them happy for dinner, it isn't the only thing that they need. And plus, just to kind of speak plainly about it, the way the world is arranged is that nobody gets to be happy all the time. I want you to listen to two scriptures that support this idea that nobody gets to be happy all the time. One of them is in James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, where James says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this passage for just a minute. Usually, when we look at this verse, the, the, the main focus is the prayer, right? Calling on the elders, anointing with oil, a practice that we have here in our church. But I want you to notice something different. <clears throat> what I want you to notice is that James says... Sometimes you're going to be sick, and sometimes you're going to be in trouble, and sometimes you're going to be happy, because this is the way that it works. The writer of Ecclesiastes also talks about happiness. Listen to, to what it says. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. There is a chance, it says, that you might be happy. And there is a chance that you might be unhappy, and this is the way that it works. And at the end of the day, what we know about happiness is that happiness is fleeting. It lasts for a little while, and then it goes away. And if you are chasing happiness, you will never ultimately be satisfied. Some of you have experienced this in your life, times and seasons of your life where you were pursuing happiness and it never seemed like that it was enough. There was always a taste for more in your mouth. Or you know people in your life who are, their highest aim in life is to pursue something that makes them feel good and makes them happy all the time. And in the pursuit of staying happy all the time, what happens is people bounce from one pursuit to the next, always looking for the next thing to make them feel happy. In fact, I would suggest that most of the time when, when we get ourselves into trouble in life, when we begin walking down a path that isn't good for us, pursuing things that aren't healthy for our lives, it's because we believe this lie. It is a lie that happiness is found somewhere else. And so whatever we're doing right now is not enough. We try to change our circumstances, our times, like the writer of Ecclesiastes says. And so we might try to eat our way into feeling happy. 
We might try to vacation our way into feeling happy. We might try to shop our way into feeling happy. We might try to work our way into happy. Sometimes we try to push our kids to do things because it makes us happy. Am I stepping on everybody's toes now? We excuse all sorts of behavior because, quote, it makes me happy. Marriages struggle because, quote, we just aren't happy anymore. And honestly, this morning, what I want us to hear is that God wants more for us. And so the question that I want us to think about is if God's highest priority for us is not our happiness, then what is? What is God's highest priority for us? What is it that God desires for us and that God wants? And I want to say it this way. God wants you. What God wants is you. What, you want, what God wants is your heart, your attention, your time, your passion, your energy, your life. And there's a story that I think perfectly illustrates this well in Mark chapter 10. Because of this story, we have what I think might be one of the hardest sayings in all of the Bible. I want you to listen to how Mark tells the story in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17 uh, and through verse 24. This is what he says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. Jesus continues, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You should honor your father and mother. The man gets excited. Teacher, I have kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, Mark tells us. And then he says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack is to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then, after you've done that, come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples, Mark tells us, were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Mark doesn't tell us right away, actually, if you go back and read the story. Mark doesn't tell us right away that this man was rich, but I think you can tell. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her commentary on this story, <clears throat> points out that this question that he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is a rich person's question. She says, posed by someone else, it's posed by someone whose bills are paid, whose income is secure, who, someone who is not preoccupied with questions like, where can I find a job or how can I feed my family? This man doesn't have those concerns. And I think it's an interesting way to think about it. He's confident in what he's done and who he is. He's secure in his wealth and his status. And he says even, you know, Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he rattles them off. And then he confidently says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. All these I've kept my entire life. I've kept the law. I've amassed great wealth. Which in that day, and sometimes in this day, people tend to think of as a sign of God's blessing. You're only blessed if you're wealthy. He says, I'm rich in things, and it doesn't feel like enough. Surely, Jesus, there is something else I must do to inherit eternal life. And I love that Mark says that he looks at this man and loves him. Jesus looks at him with as much compassion as he's looked at someone who was blind, 
or deaf or paralyzed, and he speaks these words, one thing you lack. I want you to imagine this scene with me for just a moment. Like, don't you think that just for a second that this man's heart was full of excitement? He's done all these things in his life. And we might hear the one thing you like because we know the rest of the story as a discouraging response. I tend to think that it was like, yes, only one more thing that I have to do. I'll do it, whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever it requires of me. The man is used to doing things to get what he wants, you see? And he'll do anything to add eternal life to his collection. Only it turns out that it isn't a matter of addition, but subtraction. It's not a matter of adding one more thing or doing one more thing. It's a matter of surrendering something. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, Jesus tells him. And I want to acknowledge this morning that so often when we hear this story, when we study this story, so often we think about this story as we talk about money. And we make the application of this story about giving our stuff away. And to be sure, it is a story about money and the way that money can make it hard to follow Jesus. That is definitely an application that you could make about this story. But it is not a story that is only about money. And here's how I know. Because let's imagine for a moment that the man does give away his possessions. If he does that, then he would have earned eternal life, and that isn't possible. None of us can do that no matter what we do. Now, this story is also, and maybe mostly, I think, about an invitation. An invitation to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, and in the process of following Jesus, to discover that it is only in Christ that true happiness will ever be found. It's, I honestly think it's, it's kind of a dare that Jesus extends to the man to become a new person. I challenge you, I dare you to become a new person. It's a story that reminds us, I think, that God wants you. God wants all of you. God isn't interested in your stuff. God isn't impressed with it. God doesn't care about your money or how much or how little you have. God isn't interested in making you happy all the time. God wants you. And this story, I think, is proof of that very thing. And this might be hard for us to hear this morning, but I believe with all my heart that God is more interested in your transformation than your happiness. That God is more interested in your life being changed by Jesus Christ than your happiness. And to be clear, again, God takes delight like a good father in his children's happiness. But because God is a good father, God will ask us to give up things that will transform our hearts and lives, even if it makes us unhappy. God will ask us, because he is a good father, to give up things that are hard for us to give up to change, to transform, to allow our hearts to be changed, even if it makes us unhappy. He may ask you to surrender your wealth, like he did this man, your pride. He might ask you to surrender your desire to be in control, which many of us struggle with. He might ask you to lay down your power or your influence 
He might ask you to lay down a hobby that you really love and you spend lots of time investing in. He might ask you to give time. He might ask you to do something else. But I guarantee you this, that God always asks us when we choose to follow to evaluate our priorities. And the, the fact of the matter is, this story is, can be about money, but it's also a fact, about the fact that this man went away sad because he was okay with living the life that he was living, but he was not ready to give it up. He went away sad because he wanted God on his terms. He didn't want God on God's terms. You hear me? How many of us want God on our terms? When it's convenient, when it's appropriate with my schedule. He wanted to follow if he was able to remain comfortable and stay in control. An interesting thing I learned about this story in preparing for today. Did you know that this man is the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark? This is shocking to me. The only person in the Gospel of Mark who walks away from an invitation to follow Jesus. He is the only one that declines to be healed. It's interesting, I think. Poverty scared him more than surrendering his life to Christ. He wasn't convinced, I believe, that happiness could be found if he had to give up his stuff in order to get it. And what may be more interesting, honestly, even than that, which I think is still interesting, Mark tells us that the disciples are all amazed. It's the last thing that he tells us in the verse that we read in verse 24. And that, what's interesting about that is that two of the disciples had left fishing boats to follow Jesus. One, Matthew, a lucrative tax-collecting career. All of them walked away from something to follow Jesus Christ, but not because Jesus required it. He invited them. It was a choice, and it happened. He called, and what I want you to see about the disciples, the way I want you to think about what happened with the disciples, when Jesus invited the disciples to come and follow him, he called, and all of a sudden, none of the things that had previously made them happy seemed all that important anymore. Because Jesus was standing there in front of them, and they could see clearly that Jesus was going to be enough. He'd set them free. This morning, what I want us to hear is that the Bible does not say that God wants you to be happy. God wants something better for you than happiness. God wants you and I to be free of the things that are holding us back, to stop chasing things that will only make us happy for a little while. Wealth, influence, education, power, control, possessions. All the activities that we fill our lives with, what God wants us to hear is that true happiness, the kind of happiness that leaves you feeling content, like you have enough, just because you have Jesus, will involve surrender, will involve a choice to give yourself fully and faithfully to Jesus Christ. And that when you do that, when you choose to go all in, that you'll discover that true happiness is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we identify with this man. And we acknowledge that many times we, we walk away sad, not maybe because of our wealth and that being the thing that keeps us in the way of really pursuing you, but because our schedules are so full, because we're busy with so many things that you kind of become an afterthought 
You kind of become second. You don't, we, we believe that you're Lord, but we don't always give you the, the seat of Lord in our life. And for this man, it was money, and this morning we acknowledge that it may not be that for all of us, but I believe that all of us are being invited to consider this morning what it is that we might need to subtract what it is that we might need to lay down and let go of, what, what, in what ways we might need to reevaluate our decision to follow you. <clears throat> Believing not only with our lips that, we, that you were Lord, but following with our actions and our lives and letting those make a statement that we also believe that you were Lord. And I pray this morning that your spirit will speak to each individual in the room, to my heart, to each of our hearts as we think about and evaluate for ourselves, in our own lives, with our own story, with our own circumstances, the ways in which we have pursued happiness as our highest aim. And that your, your spirit will convict us of that, Father, and that you'll help, in, help us accept this invitation to follow you even though it will mean inevitably that we have to surrender some other things. And we're thankful, Father, for hard truths that we see in Scripture that still speak so in so many relevant ways to our lives and situations today. Help us to be aware of the ways, Father, that we are putting other things in front of you. Help us to be willing, like the disciples, to leave other things that we need to leave behind in order to pursue you more fully. And we're thankful, Father, that you are a good Father that doesn't only, is not only interested in our happiness, but is ultimately interested in our lives being transformed. And we pray this morning that you will, by the power of your Spirit, will work in us to continue to form and shape us so that each and every one of us look more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. And the church said this morning. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, uh, we're going to sing one more song, and then uh, we will have our shepherd's prayer and be done.